All right. Everybody doing good? Awesome. Um, if you're new here, if you haven't been around with us, um, this is kind of a low-key Bible study that we're doing this summer. Basically, with our age group, everybody's in and out during the summer. College students are on trips. Um, singles are going like to Greece and other places like that that we can't afford to go to, but it's cool that they get to go to. So what we're doing is this summer we've said, all right, we know that if we have, if we want to grow, if we want to be the people that God has redeemed us to be, then we need to be a, a, a group of believers that is in the word together. And so what we did, we cast the vision out there for you. Hey, we want to study the Word together. We want to spend about 15, 20 minutes in the Word every day together. And are you in it? Are you in it to win that? And so um, a lot of people said, yes, I'll I'll do it when I'm there. Um, I'll study it. We've got people in Africa right now. Alex Jones is studying in Africa. We've got people in India right now that are studying this deal with us. We've got people all over the place that are pressing into, okay, what does the book of Acts say? Not what does Francis Chan say about it, not what does John Metter or Mark Driscoll or John Piper, but what does the Word of God say? And so God has been doing some really interesting and God-sized things as we've studied the Word for ourselves. Um, I won't share all of them with you, but we have people that have finally, that are realizing that the role of the Holy Spirit in their lives, that they are led by the Holy Spirit, they've never really thought about that. They've never really realized that. They've never really said, what am I doing to minimize the uh, awareness of the Spirit of God in my life? Um, In other words, Paul puts it in Ephesians, what am I doing to grieve the Holy Spirit? They've never had that conversation in their lives before. Uh, um, Some others of you, through emails and conversations that we've had, um, Acts 1-8 has really penetrated to your hearts of, okay, if the Holy Spirit, if the whole deal of why the Holy Spirit was sent was to be a witness of the gospel, not to just make me cool and not to just make me like do all these freakish things, but to witness the gospel, then um, what's, what am I doing? Like, what, how, do, how do I center my life on the fact that the whole reason why Jesus died was so that I could bring other people to be rescued as well through the power of the Holy Spirit. So those have been some interesting conversations. And then we have some groups that are getting ready to go overseas that are like, they are so getting ready to experience what it means to walk daily in the awareness of the Holy Spirit and in the like, I have nothing to bring to the table because I'm in a totally different country. I don't know the customs. I don't know the locations. But God has a plan for me today, and boom, I'm going to do it. And those of you that went to Africa with us, that was very much our thing. We had our plans. We had our agenda of what we were going to do, and then boom. Um, Catherine, where are you? Remember our sign? What was the sign we went past every day? Yeah, there was a huge roadblock in our African road that said diversion. And then by the end of the week, we're like, yep, that has been the theme of our trip is diversion. You thought you were going this way, but we're going to take you off the beaten path. And so God is doing some really cool stuff. And since God is doing some really cool stuff, there's also a lot of like junk that's coming our way, which is uh, it's crazy because as you press in to know what God's word says, and as we as a group press into that, the enemy's kind of like, what? They're going to read the word? What? They're going to talk about the word? 
man, you all have read C.S. Lewis probably, uh, the screw tape letters, right? Have you read that? Yeah, the two, the two things, um, the two victories for, uh, for the enemy in C.S. Lewis's mind, um, this book, if you don't know anything about it, it's an older, older demon writing to his young apprentice, uh, some relationship, nephew, maybe, I forget. And he says, the two things that you have to be most aware of is people that take the de- demonic stuff way too seriously, where they get way too entrenched in, oh, what's that? I want to know all about that. I want to get involved in all that. And then the other one is the person that totally disregards it and says, no, it's not even real. And so what we're seeing is, as we're studying the Word of God, and as we're trying to do this whole community, building biblical community uh, together, there's, there's a lot of junk, a lot of these little like grenades being thrown in our direction. Right on. Cool. Because Jesus is bigger than that. His name is powerful. And he is with us, even into the ends of the age. So that's cool. So, Acts chapter 6. Um, along with that, with the Acts challenge, um, basically, a lot of people that are in here tonight have studied Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7 all week. Um, I send out a little email, post it on the website. It sometimes goes to your email, sometimes doesn't. Sometimes goes to Facebook. Sometimes eight of them go to Facebook in one day. Sorry, I don't know what happened this week, whatever. Um, but we studied Acts chapter 6 and 7, Okay. Now, some of you have not done that. It's okay. We're not going to go so deep and so in the trenches of it that it's not going to be, that you're not going to be able to understand what's going on, okay? So tonight, rather than deal with two chapters all at once, hey, um, Ron, if you could go ahead and put that up there, and then we'll see if it works. Ah, nice. Let me go back. Oh, it's at the very end. Don't look. Don't look. We're real high tech around here. Okay, we're going to look at Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 6 together. And then we're going to jump to the very end of this story and deal with it after that, okay? So look at Acts chapter 6 with me. You're already there because I told you to get there a long time ago. I'm not. Now I am. All right? You ready? Okay, I'll take that as a yes. Verse 1. Now, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of the task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, some guy I can't pronounce, Nicanor, Timon, oh, that's funny, reminds us of something else, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles. And after praying, they laid their hands on them. Now jump over to chapter 7. We'll get what this is, and then we'll talk about how these are connected. Jump to verse 51 in chapter 7. To catch you up real quick, uh, this guy Stephen is given this huge huge, huge history of Israel, and he's making the comparison between the fathers of Israel and this council that is trying to just mess with him. And this is what he says in verse 51 to the council. You men who are stiff-necked 
and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did, which one of the apostles did, which one of the apostles did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he, Stephen, gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of the young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Awesome. Let's pray one more time. God, we ask that you would do something with this. Lord, that you would reveal this to us. That you would make us not just knowledgeable of what this text says, but we would know what it means. And Father, most importantly, that we would move to how does this text wreck with my life today? How does this sync up with the way I'm living life? And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would reveal how we need to change, that you would give us the grace, that you would give us the humility, and that you would give us the perseverance for the sake of your kingdom through the power of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so go back to chapter 6. Let's unpack this for a second. And if you don't know me, I always put you all in little groups, but we'll do that in a second, okay? Chapter 6. Now, somebody catch me up to speed. What's been going on Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5? What's been happening? Okay, the church. Holy Spirit comes. Promised in chapter 1, comes in chapter 2, all kinds of crazy stuff happened with it. What else? They're beginning to be persecuted. We see that right here with Stephen. Remember Acts chapter 3? Okay, Peter and John. So... The gospel is going out, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of witness is causing these people to take the gospel to what people group at at, at first? The Jews, okay? That's pretty important. The Jews are coming to know Jesus. They're realizing that they have crucified the Savior, the Messiah that they've been waiting for, okay? So they've done that, and then instead of turning away from that message, what's happening to the church? Is it like two people getting together on a Friday night? Sabbath, what's happening to the church? They're meeting daily, what? Yeah, like Badal, chapter 2, 3,000 people are added to their number that day. Then as they are meeting together from house to house, going to the temple, then going from house to house, going to the temple, then having fellowship, eating meals with one another, um, praying with one another, What's God doing? Well, daily the Lord is adding to their number. Okay, so this is, as our our boy David Platt pointed out last week, this is like huge church growth. This is like not just 
me sharing with Brent and then Brent sharing with someone, but it is exponential church growth through the power of the Holy Spirit centered on the gospel as they're praying about it. We get to chapter 3 and it goes to Peter and John and what happens with them. Remember? You probably sang a song about it when you were a little kid. It's all right. Nobody got hurt. We're okay. Randy's trying to pick up girls back there, whatever. (laughs) Now his face is red. Peter and John, what do they do? What happens? Heal the lame man. Remember? (laughs) Remember the lame man? What do they say to the lame man? Look at me. He thought they were going to give him some cash. What does he say to him? Yeah, before I get up and walk, though, before in the name, right on. Silver and gold have I not, or none, but what I do have I give to you. Get up and walk. Right on. Were you saying that the whole time? I'm sorry. I love you. Okay? So then we get to chapter 4. Some, some other crazy things are happening. And now we're in chapter 6. The church is huge. We're not sure of the timing between chapter 5 and chapter 6. It's not like two days later. It's not even like two, two months later. It's probably at least a year later after all this Pentecost stuff has happened. Okay? So it's been a while. But what's still happening in Acts chapter 6? Well, moral decline, you know, those Jews, they're here today, and then they just tap out, and they've got passion and zeal, but when it really came to it, they they really didn't do anything. What happens? They're still growing, and and when we say growing, when we focus on the numbers, I hate focusing on the numbers, but as someone who I've heard recently say this and had conversations about this, numbers represent people. And if people are being transformed by the gospel, then right on, that's a win. But doing things just for the sake of the numbers of like, well, you had a whole couch that didn't have people in it, whatever. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about if people are being transformed by the gospel, transformed by the renewing of their mind, then wow, that's good. It's still growing. So it's huge now. Who's in charge? Besides Jesus, God, we got that, yeah. Who else is in charge? The disciples. Now, just in case we're not cluing in on that, how many people was that? Twelve people. Okay, we know from chapter 2 that there's at least 3,000. We know from 2 and 3 that there's at least 5,000. Twelve people in charge of 5,000 plus people. 5,000 plus men. That's a lot of people. What would happen, let's think of this for a second. What would happen if every person in here got the idea of like, okay, I'm going to be on mission with Jesus. I'm going to submit to the power of the Holy Spirit that's in me. And I'm going to witness. I'm going to be dependent upon the Lord to do what God has called me to do. And you go out and do what that video said, where you are sent out into your communities to be Christ, to be the aroma of Christ around people around you. And people started coming to know Christ. Like, I mean, everywhere you went. Barista, boom, she's a believer. You go to the car wash, hey, what's up? Thanks for washing my car, let me tell you about Jesus. I do have some silver and gold to pay you, but I also want to tell you about Jesus. 
Or what happened if you were at the dentist, Randy, and somebody, uh, Randy's a dentist. What, happened, what would happen if you started sharing the gospel with people in your dentist chair before you put them under the knife? Hey, you want to go to hell? Okay, let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> Scalpel in hand. No, probably not the best method of doing that. But what would happen if we just did that and God started, God was pleased, not always when the gospel goes out and the Holy Spirit was with it, that these huge numbers come to Christ. But God was pleased in order to bless us in that way numerically. What would happen if all those people, all those five, 6,000 people decided to come here in this room? What would happen? Chaos. Why? Because poor Dana on Sunday mornings when she gets that coffee, she is not expecting 6,000 people. Right? Y'all know Dana? She's a big servant around here. You probably don't know that she, she does a lot. What else would be weird if 6,000 people showed up? No way to plug them into the community here. What do you mean? We're growing towards that. But for us, it's if we have a new believer right now, um, man, we want to disciple that new believer. But what if we had 6,000 new believers? That would mean that the people that are in this room would be in charge of discipling. I mean, all you would do would be disciple. And you would disciple those people to disciple more people and disciple more people. So logistically, nightmare, right? When we think about it, if 6,000 people were to walk through the door, logistic Nightmare. What else would be weird? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and even in praying of Lord, Lord, do this. But let me be happy if it's two, one. What else? What else would be weird? You wouldn't have a parking space. Dude, the bathrooms would be trashed. What else? Think about it. Think of all the issues that, it, that would happen. We don't have enough chairs. What? Lunchtime? Yeah, we're going to Freddy's. We're there for like three days. Now we can pray for the food. Yeah, that'd be a little awkward. Anything else? More people, more needs. Yeah. Not enough Bibles. I like it. Now we're starting to flesh this out. What else? Dude, where's the baptismal big enough for that? Right? I'm not ashamed Sunday is going to take like three days too. That's coming up, by the way. Cool. Anything else? Yeah. Would there be enough of us? Or would, like, the five people who sign up to do everything and do everything over and over and over again, would they get burnt out? Right? 
So logistic nightmare. Okay, so put yourself in that position. And what is the conflict that's taking place in Acts chapter 6? Is it a win that people are coming to know Christ? We say that with such like, yeah, right? Yes, that is a huge win. Way to go, Holy Spirit. Way to go, gospel. Awesome. But what's the conflict in Acts chapter 6? Okay? Get real specific. Okay? What's the text say? What's the conflict? What's the, use the text. Who's overlooked? The widows are overlooked. There's a huge complaint. The complaint is the widows are being overlooked. Who's being overlooked? What, what does it specifically say about them? Okay? The Hellenistic or Greek speaking. Now, what, what people group are we dealing with in Acts, in this segment of Acts? Jew or Gentile? Predominantly, the Holy Spirit is coming out to the Jews first, okay? Because, well, we don't have time to get into Romans 9 through 11, but look it up, whatever, okay? So the Holy Spirit has come to these individuals, and later on it comes to the Gentiles, and there are some Hellenistic Jews, some Jews who've said, some, some Gentiles who've said, yeah, you know what, I want to start pressing into that, I want to get involved in that, I want to be a part of that. They couldn't be a part of everything because they weren't born Jews. But they could reach, like, status C, but never status A of being a Jew. Okay? So the Hellenistic Jews, they had some widows. And then the, the normal Jews, like the Jewish Jews, tried and true Jews, they had some widows too. And what's happening with the Hellenistic widows and the Jew-Jew widows? The Hebrew widows. I like Juju, though. That's kind of fun. The Hebrew widows. What's happening between those? Hang with me. What's happening? Discrimination. Now, it's real easy for us to, like, take our Civil War slavery minds and be like, racism, right? Because we're taught to do that, you know, whatever. We're taught to do that. But what do we know about Acts so far? What's happening What's the context of this community? They're breaking bread together. What else? What, remember all the stuff we've said about the early believers? Did they just eat together all the time, y'all? Yeah, they're selling stuff to provide for the needs for other people. We got some people that were lying about that whole deal. Remember that? And then they died. Did, did you all read that? Yeah. We didn't talk about that because I was afraid that, uh, never mind. <laughs> uh, what else? What else does it say about them? Yeah. If Nari has tons of cash, because she's a teacher, I mean, she has tons of cash, and I'm a pastor and have no cash. No. I'm a pastor and have no cash. She, and I have a need, a legitimate need, she, being rich, has been blessed with that to be a blessing so she would bless me and take care of the household of faith. In the Jewish system, what this would look like is on Friday, they would take care of all the widows and the orphans. Of, they would distribute enough food, enough stuff for the rest of that next week, every Friday, their Sabbath, when Sabbath was about to start. 
Then they would also have a deal where daily they would go from house to house of the people that they knew had great need. So they had two forms that they would take care of these people. Pretty cool, okay? But the Hellenistic Jews are having a problem because their widows are being neglected. So some of you said that's distraction. What, what were conflict? What are some other things to describe that? Okay, we want to put it into the context of extreme huge growth, and more than just more than just um, oh, we're going to bash the Hellenistic widows. We're not going to take care of those. They were just overlooked because there's so much growth within this church. It wasn't a vendetta against them. It was a wow. Logistically, just like if 6,000 people came here and all had to go to the bathroom at once, it would be weird. Same kind of situation. Okay? So, this is awesome. Priorities. Somebody define for me what a priority is. What's a priority? Okay, what do you mean precedent? Greater importance. Anything else? Other synonyms? Deadline? What do you mean, Chad? Yeah. Nice. You got to do everything in order to meet that deadline, so everything else kind of take the back burner until that's done. Priority. Okay. Cool. All right, so how do we know what, and Ron, I'm having an issue with this. My phone is messing up, so just go to the next one. Um, how do we know what is priority within this text? Those of you that read Acts 6, 1 through 6. What's priority? So what I want you to do, get in your little cohort of like five or six people. How many would we have if we did that tonight? Five or six. Let's do five or six. Ready? Go. It's awkward, I know. It's okay. If you see someone that's just kind of lost, extend the hand of fellowship to them. Introduce yourself. Say hello. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so here's what's up. Acts chapter 6, 1 through 6. Question you're answering is, within your group, what were the priorities of this first church? What were the priorities, okay? So you might want to look through it, use the text to talk about the text. Ready, go. Yes, we are in the book of Acts.
Okay, right on. What, what's priority number one? Like, utmost priority. Preaching the gospel and prayer. How do you know? Huh? 6-4. What's it say in 6-4? Okay, so who's we right here? The apostles, the 12 disciples, okay, the complaint comes to them and they say, hey, not, oh, we're better than serving these widows, but hey, we're not doing a good job at this. And we need to take care of these widows. We need to do this. So priority one for us is preach the gospel, be, you know, be men of the word and be men of prayer, but we still have this huge need. So Word, prayer, priority, what's, what's the next? What's another thing that's really important from what you're seeing? Yeah, taking care of the needs specifically of the widows in this case, right? Yes, no? So what do they do? They appoint people. Okay, how do they do that? Huh? I can't hear you, what? By their character? Okay, tell me about that. What does it say in here about their character? Okay. Good reputation, full of the Spirit, which basically means they are, they are dependent upon the Spirit of God in their lives for what they do. And what's the last one? Wisdom. What do we learn about wisdom on Sunday mornings here? Fear the Lord, a knowledge of God's word, and the application of God's word is wisdom. So in this scenario, it would be wisdom would be knowing what God's word says about orphans, widows, and applying it in that situation. Okay? Now, let's think about this for a second. Why do you think, oh, it did it again. Why do you think these are priorities? We said, okay, ministry of the word, the gospel, priority, prayer, priority. Taking care of the needs, it's still really important. But is it on the same level as the Word? Help me out, yes or no? It's an application of the Word, but how are you going to know that you need to be taking care of orphans and widows? The Word, right? The prayer. How are you going to know which orphan slash widow is, okay, we need to, we've totally got to take care of this, but this person is doing this out of the wrong way, and we need to take care of that, and blah, blah, blah. Prayer. Dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Why, let's take these two. Why is the word and why is prayer of utmost importance? Why is it priority number one? Even though it's two. Why is it priority number one? Okay? Talk about it in your group. Why is it priority? Tell me what, you, what y'all are finished saying. What'd you say? Why are these priorities? Well, it's the word. Okay. Yes. Why is that a priority? What else? Why, why at first Eulis, what is happening back there, y'all? Y'all need to get it together. Okay. I'll bring more attention to the fact that your face is red right now. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Amanda. Okay, it's war, it's on. Okay, back to what we were talking about. The word, 
why, why at First Eulis does John Metter spend 40 minutes on Sunday in the Word? Why do we, on Wednesday nights, instead of like getting together for a big slip and slide or big massive game of Twister, which would be awkward <laughs> because we're all past the Twister playing age, okay? Let's just throw that out there. Why is the word central to what we do? Okay, it has authority. It's constant. We need to we need to unpack these. What do you mean it's authority? Okay, so God, it's truth. It's God's truth, it's not that man has written it, it is supreme authority. God has chosen, chosen to, in time, in space, write the word of God so that we can know truth and therefore know him. Okay? Constant, what do you mean? Okay? Okay? It's the same. People thought it was archaic back then. People think it's archaic today. Archaic means old, outdated. Yeah. People listened to it back in the day, and people didn't. People listen to it today, people don't. Constant, not changing. Okay, what else? Why is the word a priority? It's the only way we know what God wants us to do. I would even say that's part B. What's part A? It's the only way we can know who God is. How has God revealed himself to us? Yeah, creation, we can know a little bit about God. And God has put eternity in our hearts, yeah. But how do we come to know a knowledge of God? How do we come to know a knowledge of Jesus Christ? The word and the Holy Spirit using the word to then, boom, get our hearts. Okay, so let's say Sunday morning. We, we have a guy who comes in. Um, and he's, he's lived a crazy life. He, uh, he's been a womanizer. He's been um, a woman hater. He's, he's beaten people. He, he's just what we would look at and we would say, man, rough life. He comes. He hears John Metter for 40 minutes. What's the hope that this guy has? John Metter's illustration? Is that where his hope is? Um, the really cool video that they show, you know, to get the choir off the stage and get John Metter on the stage. Is that where the hope is? The lights? Oh, he's just wowed by the lights. That little swirly one that's on the stage on Sunday morning? I mean, wow. Is that what the hope is? Where's the hope for this guy who is where all of us were? In Jesus. In the Word. Right? So if John Metter got up there and told 800 stories and then chose one verse out of context and got that verse and said, here's the staple verse because we're a church, where would the hope be? In the, in the swirly light, right? Not a whole lot of hope. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know how rare that is? 
for pastors to encourage their people to take what they say and to line it up with the plumb line of God's word. It's so rare. It's cool. Okay, so we got the word. We could spend tons of time talking about it. What about prayer? Why is prayer priority? Okay. Okay, answers to our questions from who? Okay. It's a way we communicate to God. You know, you know that like every other religion prays, right? Where's our hope, though, in, in the prayer? We will devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. Okay. It focuses our attention. Shows our dependence upon God. Builds our relationship with God. How are the two used together? Like usually we say, oh, the Bible's over here, prayer's over here. How are they, how are they used together? Okay. Let's go with your other example. You ask a question of God. What if God gives you some, some crazy flighty answer to that question that is not consistent with what the Word says? You praying, but it ain't God talking to you. Right? Yeah. It's probably your flesh saying, I want this anyway. I'm just going to go through the motion of God. Please let me have blank, which is usually how that prayer starts, right? So the two are used in congruency, in con- whatever that word is, with one another where you're praying, but if you're praying things that are not consistent with the word of God, you're not praying. If you're in God's word all the time and you're not praying, well, who's leading you in your study of the word? Is it just an academic exercise or is the Holy Spirit leading you in all truth? You see how they work together? Okay, let's keep going. Because I want to... I just swallowed my gum. You know that the application... You know that the application is coming, right? Yes, it was pepperminty, so my throat is like burning right now. Awesome. Yes, I'm an idiot. Okay. You know the application is coming. Priorities and conflict. So, okay, let's, let's talk about how this is fleshed out. And we'll use this as kind of like our Petri dish, our experiment, okay? Our, our group, our community of believers um, in the 18 to 35-ish age range, okay? That's our Petri dish. Um, what would... Oh, well, before we even get to that, let's talk about Stephen first. Because <clears throat> I want to come back to this application stuff and really rest there and hover there for a second. So the conflict arises. What's the solution to the conflict? <coughs> oh, I did not. <laughs> Pam, will you give me some water, please? <laughs> oh. I know, I'm sorry, Randy. 
well, really it's Amanda. Amanda's sending it my way right now. All right, conflict, Acts chapter 6, what's the solution? We ended with they selected people, how they choose them based on character. What was the three characteristics? Men who were, well, four characteristics. What gender? Men who were full of the Spirit, good reputation. Oh, that was perfect. Awesome. <laughs> full of wisdom. Oh, my gosh. I, I'm on crack cocaine right now. All right, so what happens as a result of that? They choose these people. Who chooses them? Who chooses? Who? The church does. All right, here's the criteria. Men who are full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, and have a good reputation. Hey, let's throw that out there. And they come back with how many? Seven people, all right? What happens? Keep going with me. Okay? They were brought before the leaders. The leaders kind of confirmed it. And what happened? What else did you say, Andy? They laid hands on them, and they commissioned them. They prayed for them. We will devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. I hope that you're marking prayer as we study, because we're learning some serious stuff about prayer. They prayed for them, and then they, they unleashed them to go and do their thing, which was to take care of these widows that were being neglected. Okay, interesting. Um, go on to Stephen. Well, look at chapter 6, verse... Uh, Verse 5. Who's the first one mentioned? Stephen. Luke is a great storyteller. Okay. Another one that we're going to come back to of the seven is Philip. We're going to see a lot about him later. What happens, turn the page, what happens with Stephen? Give me the real like summary. Don't give me his whole speech on the history of Israel. But what happens? Yeah? Yeah, look at chapter 6, verse 8. Jumps right to him. Oh, wait, hold on, we like verse 7 because it's the result. The word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to grow. Conflict dealt with, right on, we're going to continue. And it started to spread all throughout where? Jerusalem, what's that remind you of? Maybe, Acts 1.8. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So it's not just the regular Joe Schmo Jewish people. It's, it's starting to infiltrate upwards into the religious system of the day. Then look at verse 8. Stephen, look at what else it says about him. Full of grace, full of power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Verse 10. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. The people that were, had a problem with him, they could not even wrap their minds around what was going on because he had so much grace and the Spirit was majorly using him. That's cool. That's awesome. 
So what'd they do to him? Well, that jumped, that jumped to like Rocky 8. What happened in Rocky 1, 2, 3, and 4, though? Yeah, they started the people up. Well, we're not going to get this guy based on his reputation because he's got a stellar reputation. So we're going we're gonna to throw these things, blasphemy, he said this, he said that. So they bring him before the council, and what's he do? Hey, Abraham, Joseph, Jacob, David, Solomon. And at the very end, where does he draw the line? Chapter 7, verse 51, what's he call him? Yeah. Stiff-necked, you've totally missed the point of the gospel in the Old Testament. Not a circumcision in the flesh, like Abraham, but what God says, a circumcision of the heart, which Paul talks about in Romans. We can talk about that later. It gets real deep. And they kill him, right? Did they make a good choice? These 12 people in the congregation, did they make a good choice? What was the requirements again? Three things. Men who are full of the Spirit. Yeah, how did you see the Spirit involved in Stephen's life this week? Boldness. You stiff-necked people. You're exactly like your fathers. The, the prophets came to you and you stoned them. You got rid of them. You're doing the same thing as them. You're worshiping the idol. The law came to you and you can say, oh yeah, angelic majesties gave that to us, but you don't obey it. I mean, he is, he's got some boldness, some guts. What else, though? Not just guts. How else do you see the Holy Spirit? Yeah. What's he say when he's like being pelted with huge rocks? God, don't hold this sin against them. The, his face shone like the people could see the difference in his countenance. So full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and men of good reputation. Now let's jump to this real quick. This is where we're going to camp out for a second. What are the priorities within, remember this is our Petri dish, what are the priorities within our ministry that God has put us in. Some of you are like, this is my first night here, I don't know. That's why you're in a group. What are, what are some of the priorities that you see working out in, in our midst around here? Talk with your group real quick. What are some of the priorities? Okay, help me out. What are some things that you see as priority within, around here, or, or within our church? Missions, you see that as a priority. Building community. Six stones, I heard that a couple places. Serving the needs of the people in our community. Mentoring. What? Being in the Word. Like you see those as priorities, like priority one. Now, here's the kicker question though. Whose priorities are those? Are those priorities of the leadership? Or are those priorities that you expect of the leadership? Because those are two different things. Let's go with your, your priorities. What do you expect 
of the leaders of our church? Now, that's a different question, isn't it? Why do you say it like that, Pauline? Okay. Now, hold on one sec. Let's just say that um, the person walks in here, and this is not their priority. What would be some of their priorities, maybe? Hypothetical person. What? Well, we took care of that because we don't have any. I mean, whatever. <laughs> okay, good music. Why do you say that might be a priority? Okay. All right. And that depends on which age group you're talking to, right? If it's your grandma, then better be just as I am. If it if you're under 20, uh, what? No, Pauline. What are you trying to say, Pauline? Why are you here? <laughs> That's awesome. To meet somebody None of y'all, whatever. What else? Priorities for other people. Not us. Other people. Coffee and donuts. Socializing. Show off your new outfit you got yesterday. I just have always done this. It's not really a priority. I've always done this. Anything else? To become convinced, that's nice. Skeptic maybe coming in and saying, all right, show me. Don't just tell me, but show me. That's very much early church. They didn't just talk it, they lived it. I like that, that was good. Anything else? Dynamic pastor who might be a little bit deaf and has this really cool I am second thing online that y'all need to check out, right? And who is huge? The one that swallows his gum and talks about it in the microphone. Yeah. I wouldn't say that's dynamic, though. I would say that's pretty whatever. All right? So it's interesting when you see what the Word of God says our priorities should be. And then when you think of like, I mean, I've been in that place where oh, I just really didn't connect with that music. Well, what's the priority? Is the priority the Word and the prayer? Or is the priority, you know, you feeling served? That's a big one, especially right now with our church, right? It's a big transition for us. Is, is, is it, you know, I, always, I, always, I told people as soon as I got here, when I interviewed for, with this job and basically said, please don't give me this job, because I wanted to, them to be sure I'm a, I teach the word. I am not a tour guide. That's what I said over and over again. I'm not an event planner where I plan 1,800 events and then just hope people show up, and then all I do, all my job is just trying to convince people to show up. And some people like that, some people don't. What, what are our priorities? What are your priorities? All right, we already see that. Um, we already talked about that. So let's talk about how this is fleshed out. If, our pri if the priority for us is the ministry of the word and 
prayer. What's that mean fleshed out in, in our daily lives? How does that, if that's the expectation, if your expectation based on Acts 6 is me as your pastor is supposed to spend time in the Word and spend time in prayer, if that's the expectation, which it should be because, I mean, hello, that's what we're looking at, what, how is that fleshed out during the week? Go ahead. The word fleshed out, how do you take the principle and the ideology and live it out? How is that, how is, okay, it's just an idea, now it's, oh, I see how that's fleshed out in the Monday through Sunday. Okay? So you're taking it from not only what are, should your expectations be of me and John Metter and all the other pastoral staff, but you're taking it a step further to, okay, if that's priority for them, then the word should be priority in my life. Prayer should be a priority in my life. Serving should be a priority in my life. Yeah. Okay, to prioritize, or another way, to get rid of idols. Okay, anything else? Can you say that real loud? Did everybody hear her? No? <laughs> this needs to be on the internet. If we expect you to be in the Word and in prayer so that you'll be prepared to come and do what we expect you to do when we get here on Sunday and on Wednesday, then we need to take up the slack and be the community and do um, the busy work or, or meeting the needs of one another because you don't have time to do that if you are spending the appropriate amount of time in the Word and in prayer. What do you all think about that? So you have the people that are... The people that are leading that are supposed to be, I mean, they're still serving. It's not like, uh, I'm above that, you do that. But if, if, it, if, if the word is truly priority and prayer is truly priority, then, and, and these people are unleashing other people to operate within their spiritual gifts that God has given, the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans 4, no, not Romans 4, Romans 12, Romans 13 and following, then, and these people were serving, unleashed to serve, then, then, yeah. We either come to church as consumers, or we come to church to realize that I have been, I have been called to equip, be equipped here. I have been called to operate within my spiritual gift here that God has given me when I received the Holy Spirit. And I'm supposed to use that for the edification of the body, to build up the body of Jesus Christ. We either believe that in our brains and are operating in that, or we don't believe that. Right? Now, I wanna, we're almost done. I, I want to hit on this like leadership aspect. What was the type of leader that was chosen of these seven people? Well, we need some help, so come on, everybody. Let's go. 
Come on, 5,000 people. We got some widows to take care of. Well, they do. Who are they? Men who, in this case, for this office, for this position, this is what they were supposed to do. Men who were full of the Holy Spirit, full of what? Wisdom. And they were what? Respected. Reputable. All that. Let me read this to you. And gentlemen, uh, this is who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to live up to. And ladies, this is like the... Oh, my word, I am so attracted to this person, okay? This is what needs to be in your life, all right? And you know what, ladies? I would, I would even dare say, you know what? Pray things according to God's will. I would even put this as a, Lord, if it's your will, please send me this type of guy. And I would also just suggest for you, ladies, to pray that the men that are in this room would have the calling and commission of God to be these type of men, to step up to be these type of men. Let me read this to you. Um, Within the leadership of our church, we have the pastoral staff, we have the deacons, we have people that are involved in different um, aspects of ministries like Pam and Greg are directors, Cindy's a director. Okay, so the leadership is deacons, pastoral staff, okay? The serving people are, Pam and Greg have leadership responsibilities in this room, but they also have major service responsibilities in this room. Cindy has major service of unleashing you all to do what you're supposed to do in this room, okay? Now listen to this. Uh, I'm reading from 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, and, and this is where we're done. We're out. We can talk about it and stay here and talk if you want to, but we're done. Verse 1, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to be the office to the office of an overseer or elder, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, this is like the goal, guys. This is, the, this is what you want to be. This is like the gladiator, patriot type, Mel Gibson and patriot. I mean, like the man's man, according to God. All right? Overseer must be above reproach. How's that similar to these guys in Acts chapter 6? Good reputation. What, I mean, what's that mean? Good reputation. We're, we don't have time to do a word study on all this right now, but, but in our context, what's that mean? Mm. Good moral character. What do you mean, Joel? They have integrity. Okay, that's probably good, yeah. <laughs> they weren't the guys going to the prostitutes. They weren't the guys that were getting wasted. What else? Ah. I know them. Good reputation. Now, does it mean you're like, I'm afraid I'm going to offend somebody all the time? No. It means I'm going to be what God tells me to be. I'm going to be a good reputation. It's good. 
Okay, not being close, avoiding the appearance of evil, being sober-minded. Okay, that, that takes it even a step further. Good. This is the, ladies, this is it. This is what you want. Must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. And we could debate that for years. Temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious. What's that word mean? Anybody seen a pug, a dog? Just sour look on his face all the time, like snarling and like... You know people that are like that? No matter what time of day it is or when you talk to them, they're in a bad mood and they want you to know and they're going to snarl you and like gnaw on you too. Not pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well. Gentlemen, if you want to get married and you're not taking care of you right now, what's, what can lady automatically assume of you? you you're not going to take care of her. You can't even take care of you. How are you going to take care of her and little kids? Right on, Pauline. <laughs> right on. So, gentlemen, it, it comes to, am I managing me? Or do I still go and drop off the laundry at mom and dad's house? That's one example. Pauline, you're killing me. You're awesome. Keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a new convert. What does that mean? I emphasize that one, obviously. I like that one. Huh? Novice, okay, I don't know what that means. What? You've been tested. I was in youth group back in the day, um, and guess what? Youth leader after youth leader kept coming through our youth group, and, um, oh, you just got saved? Oh, you were smoking dope last weekend? You were selling dope last weekend? You're saved? Right on. Be in charge of the youth ministry. Guess what happened to the majority of those kids that were in that youth group? Well, one's in jail for killing someone and stuffing the body into a dumpster. Um, three of them are drug dealers. Another three of them have become wife beaters, where they go from one wife to the next, having multiple kids, leaving them deadbeat dads, and beating their wives. Not a new convert. Yeah, I'm a little riled up about that one. So that... He will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside of the church so that he will not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Then it goes into another office. Deacons must likewise be men of dignity, not double-tongued, talking one way to one person, another to another, or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, not a new convert. So if you come in here and you've recently come to Christ and then you're like, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do that. What do you think I'm going to tell you based on what God's word says? Be t you're going to be tested. You can't be a leader if you have not first been tested. Right? Let's disciple you, let's walk you through that process, but I'm not going to put you in charge of 15 people and say, I hope you make it. Right? 
Same thing for ladies on that one in your discipleship. Okay? Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, hello, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is Christ Jesus. So here's the deal. If we, Acts chapter 6 is awesome because we're at that place. I told Amy uh, this week, I was like, you know what? It's so awesome how when we study something in the Word, the Lord gives us these opportunities to see like all the situations that are going on around you of like, this is so right now, like where we are right now. And that's where we are right now. Logistically, we have about 150 to 200 people in and out, college students in and out. We cannot take care of all the college students that come in and out of here. We can't love on people that go to Baylor once they leave here. Once they go from youth, they have two, two months for us to be like, we love you, you're a part of our community now, we want to walk alongside with you. They're like, I just graduated, I'm going to camp, I don't know. Uh, we cannot effectively say to them, hey, you're going to Baylor, we are going to pray for you, we are going to have people in our church come alongside you and pray for you while you're at Baylor or while you're at UNT or while you're at Texas Tech. Okay, right on. We can't do that. Me and Cindy and Amy and Pam cannot do that. We have to have people take ownership. We can't get all the people that have slipped through the cracks over the past two years that have come in and out because either they got mad at something or they just went off the radar. And you know what I mean when I say off the radar. We, can't, we don't know those people to say, hey, come back. I can't make a million phone calls a week. I can't, have you gotten a postcard from me? Some of you have. Don't be jealous if you haven't, okay? I can't send postcards to the 4,000 people that are on the university and singles roll. Yes, 4,000. He said 4,000. That number has gone down a lot because we've been calling people, oh, you've been married for 20 years. Okay. Yes. Thank you, Andrea, for that. We can tell you those stories later. We need your help desperately. But we need you men to be the men that God calls you to be. You're not going to have the status of a leadership role if you can't first be a disciple of Jesus. So I'm okay with needing help until God raises up some guys who are going to be that help. I'm okay with having the ladies who can do the things that, that need to be done of calling people. But Cindy needs some help. Amy needs some help. Pam, we love you. Do you see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Not for us. Not to make my life easier. But because you have a vital part if you are a part of the body of Christ, you have a gift that has been given to you. And if you're not using that gift, you are subgrade. You're not doing what God's called you to do. And you're not growing. And if you're not growing, it's not like you just stand still. You're, you're experiencing atrophy. So let's get about this like, Okay, right, we're going to rally together. 
We're going to do what we said on Sunday. We're going to, here's the ball. Go do the play. Not, uh, we'll, come, we'll see you back on Sunday for some pancakes and rally together again. And then be like, yeah, let's do it. And then not. Okay? Love y'all. Love the ones that are like, okay, how can I help? I'll do whatever. Love the ones that aren't there yet. Love you enough to say, you need to get there. If I just said, oh, okay, you're not in it, well, then I would be letting you stay in that state of atrophy. Let's pray. God, Lord, make sense of all that. And I have full confidence in your word and spirit that you will. Lord, where it was too harsh and where it was too much of my personality, Lord, I just ask that you would burn that up. And Lord, that you would allow the things, the gems of your word to remain. God, I, I, I'm so in that place where so many people around here, and I thank you for awakening people to the reality that the word is real, it, it is alive, it's active, and that it demands our obedience. Lord, I thank you for those that you've awakened to that reality through the Spirit of God. Lord, I ask that you would allow us to progress and move and, and, and center our lives on this thing of the gospel and on being a part of a biblical, authentic, transparent community for the sake of your name, for the lostness that is around us that needs to see an example of Jesus, not just with our words, but with the way that we love one another, the way we serve one another, the way we call each other out on the carpet when sin is in the camp. Jesus, only you can do that. I'm so feeble and weak and unable to do that and accomplish that, and I thank you for that, that where I am weak, you are strong. Thank you for your grace that is sufficient. May we be like Stephen, full of grace and wisdom, full of the boldness of the Spirit of God. Bring that about in us. Thank you for these individuals. Thank you for a place and the freedom that we have to open your word and to think about it and talk about it, to laugh, to be dumb, but to also press in on what you are trying to say through your word. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for the victory and that we are more than overcomers through the cross. In your name we pray, amen.